So this is, uh, this is Pentecost Sunday, and uh, the title we're using this Sunday is in, talk about inviting change as we go in here. By the way, I'm, I'm just going to say uh, for Patrick, y'all may not be aware, he did a, a youth retreat, uh, youth, not retreat, a youth camp this past week, and I think he said there were something like 600 kids there. So, uh, so the fact that he's here is pretty, yeah, he drove in yesterday morning so, and did worship last night, and then he's here this morning too, so... He, he, he's uh, doing double duty big time, uh, way beyond the call of duty here. So uh, we're going to talk a little bit about inviting change this morning. You know, change is one of those interesting things uh, you learn if you uh, work in organizations for a while. You know, change is kind of a, it, you're, you're going to have change in an organization, but people handle it in different ways. Some people can uh, handle a volume of change more easily than others. Some people can handle a pace of change uh, in different ways than others. Uh, you know, you, you work through a process and you have some people who always feel like you're moving too fast and some people who feel like, oh my gosh, we're just never going to get there. Uh, and so, you know, you're, you're always in that kind of span where, where people are. Uh, but, you know, uh, change is one of those things that every organization has to wrestle with and deal with, and every individual has to wrestle with and deal with. Uh, a number of years ago, there was a joke that came, went around, and it was, uh, some of you may remember these, it was the thing about changing the light bulb, you know, how many something something does it take to change the light bulb? And some of those got a little rough, uh, but, but you know, there was somebody took those and applied it to churches, and, you know, we're talking about church kind of groups and changing the light bulbs, and so, you know, they did things like, how many charismatics does it take to change a light bulb? Just one. Their hands are already in the air. Um, and I'm sorry, if anybody's offended, please, I'm, gonna, I'm just going to step on everybody's toes this morning. Uh, how many Lutherans does it take to change a light bulb? Change? Change? <laughs> how many Calvinists does it take to change a light bulb? None, because God has already preordained the level of darkness or light in the room. Right? How many Methodists does it take to change a light bulb? We choose not to make a statement either in favor or of or against the need for a light bulb. However, if in your journey you found the light bulb works for you, that's fine. You're invited to write a poem or compose a modern dance about your personal relationship with your light bulb or light source or non-dark resource and present it next month at our annual Light Bulb Sunday service in which we will explore a number of light bulb traditions including incandescent, fluorescent, three-way, long life, and tinted, all of which are equally valid past luminescence. Yeah, we're getting ready to go to annual conference this week. <laughs> I may get struck by lightning, but, but you know, change is one of those things that's interesting. And, and change in habits are, are, are things that are ingrained in us. We're, they're created in us. They're built into us. We are designed to handle a certain amount of change, and we're designed to have a certain number of habits. Uh, habits are actually a very beneficial thing for us to have uh, because what they do is they free up brain power and brain space for thinking about more critical kinds of issues. So, so, you know, normally when you're doing things, you know, if you're walking across a room, you don't think about the mechanics and the complexities of balancing and moving from one foot to the other and moving across the room. It, I mean, you just do it without thinking. Uh, when you speak, you normally don't think about the mechanics of what it takes to form these words and bring them out and communicate them. Uh, when you breathe, you're not thinking about the mechanics of how often you breathe and how deeply and what you need to do to ensure your body gets the oxygen it needs until, until there's an illness or an injury where you have to relearn those things. And then you discover just how complex those activities are and how challenging they are. 
and, and what happens with us is, is, is we, we normally learn those kind of things and they kind of go in the back of our minds and, and they become habits that we move through without even touching on so that we don't have to rethink them every time. And that's a good thing for us unless we begin to make habits out of things that are supposed to be thought of, that we're supposed to be more critical in our, our mind with. Uh, they're good things unless we start to make our, our, our religion into habits where we just go through the motions without being aware of what we're doing. Let's pray. Almighty God, we are here on this Pentecost morning, and we ask that whatever habits we've gotten into, that you break us out of, uh, that you bring us back into your presence, uh, that you restore us to the life you intended for us. May the words of my mouth and meditation of all our hearts be acceptable in your sight, because you are our rock and our Redeemer. Amen. So I'm going to read to you the story of Pentecost out of the Acts and, and uh, hopefully kind of open it up a little bit for you to understand it a little better. Uh, this story comes out of the second chapter of Acts. Pentecost is often called the birthday of the church, but, but it starts, you know, when the day of Pentecost came, they were all together in one place. So obviously the day was already there. What we sometimes forget is that Pentecost was a Jewish observance before the birthday of the Christian church. Uh, it was called the Feast of Weeks originally. Uh, it came seven weeks after the Passover. It was kind of a, a first fruits kind of festival. Uh, it celebrated that not only in the Passover did God uh, bring his people into the promised land, but that the promised land flowing with milk and honey, all that kind of language, the promised land produced you know, food and, and, and all kinds of harvest to support them. And so they came to celebrate that and remember that this was the land God brought them into, a land that was you know, full of all kinds of, of blessings for them. And then eventually on top of that, they, they came to associate the Feast of Weeks also, this uh, Pentecost uh, celebration, with the giving of the law on Mount Sinai. And so it came to have kind of a double kind of celebration. It was, it was when the law was received by the people of Israel and also when the people of Israel were blessed with uh, the, the bounty of the land that God brought them into. So it was a, it was a big festival. Uh, people came from all over the Mideast area, all around the Mediterranean, all over that way. They came to Jerusalem because, remember, at this time, the temple is still the center of worship for the Jewish people. So they all came into Jerusalem, and there's this huge crowd of people there. And in the midst of that, there's this small group of Jesus' disciples who are still been hanging out, maybe, maybe 100, 120 of them total, but, but the mainly you know, the, the core kind of group is hanging out in the upper room, which is the same room where they had the Last Supper, on Passover. So this story takes place in the middle of that. When the day of Pentecost, they, the disciples, were all together in one place in the upper room. And suddenly a sound like the blowing of a violent wind came from heaven and filled the whole house where they were sitting. They saw what seemed to be tongues of fire that separated and came to rest on each of them. All of them were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit enabled them. Now they were staying in Jerusalem, God-fearing Jews from every nation under heaven. They're there for this big festival. When they heard this sound, a crowd came together in bewilderness because each one heard their own language being spoken. Utterly amazed, they asked, aren't all these who are speaking Galileans? Now, just a little side note, Galilee was kind of a little bit of a backwater in Israel. And so, you know, what they're really saying here, what you really need to hear is, Galileans? Those country bumpkins from out there in Galilee, 
Where'd they learn all these different languages? They, they have trouble speaking their own. You know, I mean, it was, it was, it was kind of a, an amazing thing to them that these people that they looked at as being, uh, you know, kind of, of a lower caste, if you will, that, that all of a sudden they're speaking all these different languages. How is it that each of us hears them in our native language? Parthians, Midians, and Elamites, residents of Mesopotamia, Judea and Cappadocia, Pontus in Asia, Phrygia and Pamphylia, Egypt and the parts of Libya near Cyrene, visitors from Rome, both Jews and converts to Judaism, Cretans and Arabs. We hear them declaring the wonders of God in our own tongues. Amazed and perplexed, they ask another, what does this mean? Now, first off, I get points for pronouncing all those names. Um, but, you know, aside from that, yes, thank you, thank you, thank you. But, but you know, you, you get the idea here that there's people from all over everywhere who've gathered here for this, and they're hearing this uh, spoken in their own language, and, and they're stunned, they're amazed, and they're going, what, what in the world is going on? What does this mean? Think of it like this. You come here for Easter Sunday worship along with the other crowd that comes here for Easter. Everybody's here for Easter. And in the middle of the Easter Sunday worship, the Spirit breaks loose and we all start speaking in tongues. And people are going, what in the world is happening? What is going on? Why aren't we singing Christ the Lord is risen today? You know, right? That's a, what, what, is, what, 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 what just happened here? This isn't what I was expecting. Because part of what happens on Pentecost is, is God turns the world on its ear. And reverses everything. I mean, here they, they've gathered in, in Jerusalem for this great festival that they've celebrated, and their parents have celebrated, and their grandparents have celebrated, and their great grandparents have celebrated. For generations, they've come together to have this great religious celebration. And over generations, it's become this is something we do. This is something we do. And in Pentecost, God breaks in. And invites them to change, to go from, from habit to actually living in the presence of God. And they're stunned. The story goes on and you hear this, this amazing uh, kind of transformation taking place. Then Peter stood up with the eleven, raised his voice and addressed the crowd. Fellow Jews and all who, you who live in Jerusalem, let me explain this to you. Listen carefully to what I say these people are not drunk, as you suppose. It's only nine in the morning. <laughs> it's not Austin. <laughs> no, this is what was spoken by the prophet Joel. In the last days, God says, I will pour out my spirit on all people. Your sons and daughters will prophesy. Your young men will see visions. Your old men will dream dreams. Even on my servants, both men and women, I will pour out my spirit in those days, and they will prophesy. Now, I want you to picture this. Here, here they are, this great crowd's got it, and Peter stands up. This is Peter, the guy who is known for every time he talks, sticking one foot or the other in his mouth, right? I mean, you know, in the Gospel of Matthew, it's Peter who says, when Jesus says, what do, you know, who do you say I am? It's Peter who says, oh, you're, you're the son of the living God, you know, you're the Messiah. And then you know, like eight verses later, Jesus rebukes him after to say, get behind me, Satan. It's Peter who, on the night that Jesus is arrested, denies him three times. I don't know this guy. It's Peter now who stands up and addresses the crowd. That in and of itself is a miraculous change. And he quotes the prophet Joel. We didn't know that Peter knew Joel. 
right? And he quotes the prophet to them. Something profound has happened in Peter. Something amazing has changed. And then he tells them this, this prophecy. And if you haven't heard it before, I want you to listen. Your sons and daughters will prophesy. Not, not your old gray beards and you know, people that are wise and have great wisdom. But your, your kids, your children are going to prophesy. Your young men will see visions. Your old men will dream dreams. Normally it's the young men that have dreams and the old men that see visions. But now we're going to reverse it. And it's not just going to be those that are trained and are masters and, and understand the faith and all that. Even even the servants in the household are going to prophesy. The whole world is getting turned on its head by the breaking in of God's Spirit. And God invites every one of them to step into the life of God in a powerful way. Pentecost is not just this kind of day we go through. I mean, this is, this is a celebration of, of God coming into the world with power. God coming into the world with life. God coming into the world with love. And what Alan says is there's just kind of, Alan, uh, the author of the book says, is there's just kind of some basic kind of movements to this. And the first is, you know, just like the disciples and, and the people in Jerusalem, the first is you have to be ready to welcome the Holy Spirit. Jesus speaks to them in the Gospel of John and says, Very truly I tell you, it's for your good that I'm going away. Unless I go away, the advocate will not come to you. But if I go, I will send him to you. And he's trying to get them ready and they're, they're distressed that he's going to live. And so he's giving them this as a word of consolation. It, it, it's, it, it's actually good for you that I'm leaving because then I'm going to send the advocate, uh, the paraclete in the original language, the one who speaks for, the one who's with you, the one who's beside you, the one who's on your side, the one who champions your cause. This is who the Holy Spirit is. And I don't, I, don't, I don't know if it's like this in your life, but in my life, there's times I need a champion. You know, I need somebody on my side. I need somebody who's with me. I need somebody who speaks on my behalf. I want that Spirit to be present with me. Welcome the Holy Spirit because He's on your side. And, and, and then Alan says you need to be guided by the Spirit. <clears throat> when he, the spirit of truth, comes, he will guide you into all the truth. He will not speak on his own. He will speak only what he hears, and he will tell you what is yet to come. <clears throat> the Holy Spirit comes and, and guides us into truth, but, but don't think that this is just, you know, whatever. I mean, because remember, the Holy Spirit and Jesus and God, this is the Trinity. This is all the, the, the three persons of the Godhead, all, all together, all in unity, and when the Holy Spirit shares truth with us, it's the same truth that Jesus shares with us. It's the same truth that God the Father shares with us. And if Jesus is the Word made flesh, then the Word, the Holy Scriptures, is one of the places that we, we understand the truth that is spoken to us. And the Spirit can open our minds up to understand what's in front of us. The Spirit will never speak to you a word of truth that conflicts with Scripture. And, and if you think you've received a word that conflicts with Scripture, that's not the Holy Spirit speaking to you. But the Spirit speaks to us. Sometimes we understand the concept of Scripture and we understand what it's saying, but, but trying to apply it in a certain situation can be really challenging. And God says, here's the one who's for you, who's on your side. Ask him and he will help you understand what you need to do. 
The Spirit guides us into truth. And the Holy Spirit invites us into this relationship with Him. The, the one, it's, it's real important to understand that the Holy Spirit is not going to uh, take over your life and, and control your life. The Holy Spirit's going to invite you into this. The words are, are the Holy Spirit leads us, the Holy Spirit calls us. The only place in Scripture where the Holy Spirit acts in a directive kind of manner is when one of the prophets or Jesus is beginning to start their ministry and the Holy Spirit drives them out into the wilderness to be tested. All the other times, the, the Holy Spirit speaks and calls and leads. The Spirit invites. If you have fear that somehow or another opening your life up to the Holy Spirit is going to put you in a place where somehow your whole life is, is controlled and manipulated by someone else, you need to hear this. The Holy Spirit invites. A spirit that controls or manipulates or uh, dominates your, your life is an unholy spirit. For example, if you say, oh my gosh, I just can't help it. I have to eat that chocolate cake. That's an unholy spirit, okay? Okay. The thing we see sometimes in television shows and movies, you know, where the, the couple comes together, you know, and, and they say, oh, I can't control myself. This love is bigger than both of us. That's an unholy spirit. The Holy Spirit does not control, dominate, manipulate. The Holy Spirit invites us into the truth of God and invites us into the love of God. The Holy Spirit is for us. And wants the best for us. And, and when the Holy Spirit invites us into the life of God and we say yes, then the Holy Spirit empowers us to live that out. When Jesus is talking to the disciples earlier in the Acts of the Apostles, he says, You will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. What you need to hear is that in the language that it's, start, that it's written in, it's you'll receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you, and then you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. There's no way for us to witness properly unless we have the witness of the Spirit within us. The Spirit empowers us to live into the life God calls us to. You know, it, it's kind of like having faith that's, that's like a really fancy car. It's a really nice car but you don't put any gas in it or you don't plug it in to charge it up. So, you know, it looks really good. It's really comfortable to sit in. It just doesn't go anywhere. And that was one of John Wesley's great fears for the church was that that's where we would get. We'd have a, a really nice faith that looks really good and it's really comfortable and we like to come sit in it, but just doesn't do anything. And it doesn't go anywhere. And that's what, that's what happens when, when the life of the Spirit is absent from us. Now I want to say a couple of other words about that. <clears throat> I'm talking about that because what gets connected with us a lot of times is people thinking about the gifts of the Spirit. And we, we can get hung up on that and people do get hung up on that. Uh, I love what Nikki Gumbel does in the Alpha Course uh, when he talks about being filled with the Holy Spirit. And he talks about the different gifts of the Spirit. But then he says, listen, it's really important. We don't pursue the gifts of the Spirit. We pursue the presence of God. We pursue the presence of God. We're empowered by the Spirit to live into the life that God calls us to. And we can trust, we can trust that when we do that, that, that that is going to be good things in our life, that God intends that for good things in our lives. Uh, <clears throat> Jesus teaching his disciples says, which of you fathers, if your son asks for a fish, will give him a snake instead? 
Or if he asks for an egg, we'll give him a scorpion. If you then, though you are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father in heaven give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? And if you know how to give good things to your children, how much more does God know how to give good things to his children? And the gift of the Spirit is a good thing to be brought into the midst of our lives. Um, When I did the uh, awakening uh, course here a while back, one of, the, one of the beautiful images I loved in that was something that David Thomas did. He talked about the Holy Trinity as, as the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit all together in this kind of eternal embrace of love where their arms are around each other and they're all embracing each other in love for all eternity. And they said that when we are invited into that life, when we're filled with the Spirit and invited into that, it's like they open their arms and they say, come join us. And they invite us into this eternal embrace of love. What an amazing place to be, to be invited into the very heart of holy love for all eternity. That's what it means to step into the life of the Holy Spirit. And over the years as I've I've traveled and I've been in different places, the the communities I've been in where, where the Spirit is most alive are the places where I find the most joy. The places where I find people living boldly and courageously with the least fear. There are places where I find people living with love and peace and not with anger. Because they've stepped into the very life of God. And they've given their life to God and God's given his life to them. And they're surrounded in this embrace of eternal love. This is what Pentecost is. It's about this breaking in of God's love in the midst of the world with, with power, with truth, with, with grace, all those things, just to, to lift us up and bring us into this life that God intends for us. And so Alan has a few questions at the end of every chapter, as he does, uh, some challenges to put to us. So I'm going to share these with you just kind of as a point to think about, which is, you know, thinking about the years of your life, times of your life. Are there specific events and times where God has intervened? And if not, have you ever stopped to invite him to give you direction? In your journal, list the areas where you might need extra guidance, maybe a changing career, college major to pursue, uh, how to parent your kids, how to deal with a certain conflict. Write down specific areas where you're struggling and ask the Holy Spirit to bring wisdom and guidance to that situation. And ask the Holy Spirit to help you have wisdom to recognize and you've received his guidance and power, and write down those moments. And one of the things I, I, I've learned over the years uh, is that when I'm in the midst of those intense periods of time in life that are really challenging, where you know life is really, really difficult to get through, that, that sometimes it's, it's hard for me to get my head above water and be aware of God's presence with me. But when I get on the end of that period of time and I'm coming out the other end, I can always look back and, and see where God was with me in the middle of that time. And the places where God was doing things in the middle of that. And so one of the challenges for me has been working to to try to cultivate an awareness of God's presence with me. Even in the middle of those things. uh, So that I'm not waiting till I'm on the other end to be aware of what God's trying to do in my life. But but even in the middle of those times of of challenge. uh, I know God's presence. I know God's leading. I know God's power. I know God's love. And to invite change in the way Pentecost does is to invite God 
into your life fully and, and to commit your life to God fully. It's, it's to step into that embrace of eternal love. It's to have everything in your life willing to be turned upside down. Because in doing so, we step into all the fullness of God's life, all the fullness of his truth, all the fullness of his wisdom, all the fullness of God's love. And that, my friends, that, my friends, is a change worth making. Let's pray. Almighty God, we give you thanks for the gift of your spirit. We thank you that you open your arms wide to receive us, that you pour out wisdom and truth and power and love upon us, that we are lifted up into the presence of your life. And so hear us this morning as we come and we offer ourselves to you. Come, Holy Spirit. Fill us and receive us, we ask in the name of Jesus. Amen.